Welcome to IG's Trading the Markets. My special guest uh, to talk about the ongoing Israel-Hamas situation is none other than Bill Blaine from Shard Capital. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a fast-moving situation. Uh, if we had to boil it down, what is the key thing to watch out for now? Okay, the key thing we're going to be watching is going to be oil prices and energy because we're beginning to see it, the, the tension reflected in gas markets as well. Uh, but critical to where prices go for energy is going to be the reaction of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is really trapped here because they're in the process of agreeing to recognize and normalize relationships with Israel. And with hindsight, it would be possible to say that that made it a prime target for Iranian interference by stopping Saudi Arabia um, linking itself with uh, um, Israel and forming a normalized relationship there, Iran has really put their own case in front of the market. Now, Saudi has a choice here. It can either go along with what's happening by uh, joining the rest of the Arab world in utter condemnation of Israel for what's likely to happen as uh, Gaza is raised as a result of uh, the attacks. Um, or it may decide that it can do something to take some of the tension out by calling for a stand down and possibly even breaking the current alliance with Russia by which they've been restricting oil supplies by increasing the supply of oil to the market, which would bring down the price of gas which would be extremely positive for the global economy and would certainly take a lot of heat out. But at the moment, they are rather trapped in the likely Arab world reaction to what happens next. And this is where Iran has been so clever. They have absolutely outraged the Western world with the attacks on Israel from Hamas. But at the same time, they're managing to outrage the Arab world with the likely reaction that they have triggered from Israel. Um, so it's very difficult to, to get past the effects that this outrage is going to create around global markets. And as I said, it all really depends on how people react. The primary player not actually being Israel, but actually being Saudi. That's really interesting, Bill. Uh, Bill. And prior to this, we had... Of course, every investor talking about, you know, the global bond uh, route and the concerns stemming for that uh, inflation potentially coming back. You know, the R word was starting to creep back again. Um, are we seeing a refocus now, given what we've seen um, happen over, you know, the last few sessions? Well, I think the reason is that the markets are caught absolutely flabbergasted by what's going on is because nobody really saw this coming. You know, there, we know there's tensions on the uh, Palestine-Israeli um, borders. Uh, you know, we know that that is uh, something that's been manipulated by both sides for decades. But it's not really figured at the top of our threat list until this the, the, the invasion over the weekend. Um, what we had before then was a market that was increasingly getting worried about the bond market. And the reason that bond markets were in trouble, or as many newspapers were saying, routed by rising yields, was simply because 
until earlier this year, the expectation was that central banks would quickly raise interest rates to combat inflation, and as soon as inflation came down, they would equally quickly ease interest rates. Now, I argued all the time that that was unlikely to happen because rather than inflation being transitory and short-lived, actually inflation gets very quickly embedded within an economy, either through wage inflation or the key element of this outbreak of inflation, which has been energy prices. So the thing I've been watching most carefully is what are energy prices doing? Now, we started to see energy prices starting to creep up, mainly because of the Russia-Saudi link, where they both agreed it was in each other's interest to keep oil prices high. And that could well be reflected yet again in inflation numbers. And what that does to the market is create this mood that we have now of higher rates for longer. Now, as bond yields remain elevated, that has a relative value effect on every single other asset class, particularly stocks, because you need to start seeing dividend yields rise to make them look competitive against bond yields. And remember that bond yields are less, bonds are less risky than equities. And then you start to have a second level of bond crisis emerge, which is within the government bond markets. People start to get nervous about the sheer quantum of outstanding bonds. And then we see people saying, how can governments afford the amount of debt that they have outstanding? And what they see is a year ago, uh, the US Treasury was able to launch bonds at 2%, and then suddenly they're launching bonds at 5%. Oh, that's unsustainable. Well, in fact, it's probably not as unsustainable as you think it is, because the outstanding government debt of any country will include an awful lot of debt that was issued over the last 12 years when interest rates were effectively zero. But if interest rates remain elevated for a long time, it does mean that the cost of servicing the debt goes up. Now, I can remember way back in the 1980s, and even the 1970s, I'm afraid, when bond yields were double digits. There was a time in the UK when I think we had 18% at one stage. So, you know, the, the, the rate of interest and the quantum of debt is a problem, but it's usually surpassable. Because remember, any sovereign nation owns the keys to the money printing presses, which we've seen before. But unfortunately, this leads us on to the third part of the bond crisis, which is in the corporate bond markets. Over the last many years of ultra-low interest rates and quantitative easing, corporates have been able to borrow enormous sums of money from the bond markets. Now, what have they used that money for? Well, they haven't actually gone out and built that much new um, productive capacity. They haven't built new factories to any great extent. They haven't invested in training their staff or creating new jobs. One of the most common things that companies have done when they borrowed a load of money on the bond markets is use it to buy back their stocks. Now, they've done that so that they can push up the value of their stock. If they buy their own stock back, up goes the price. And then what happens? The C-suite, that's the CFO and the CEO and all the senior executive directors, they get bigger stock bonuses. So it was in, in the interest of companies' management to buy back their own shares. Now, interest rates are no longer going to be 1% for a corporate to go and borrow. When they need to re-borrow, 
they're going to have to pay 6 7 8% borrow, even more for the high-yield companies that are the most leveraged. So as a result, in the next two years, we face a real refinancing crisis across the whole corporate bond market. And that is likely to trigger further weakness. Now, I'm sorry if I'm going on a bit, but we're getting to the fourth stage of this problem, which is who holds all that debt that is going to be more likely to default? Well, it's not just banks. It's insurance companies, real money investors, the pension funds, whatever. And they're the ones that are going to be sitting holding the problem. Now, we've seen Bill, that begin to Bill, bite already. Sorry, not, not wanting to um, um, uh, interrupt you, but... I guess the question here is, are we going to see those cracks starting to show when the banks report? That was going to be exactly what I said next, actually. It's the banks we need to be watching closest. I do apologise for just ranting on there, but this is all a chain of consciousness stuff about where we go next. And, and what we've got, because of the losses that we're seeing in bond markets, banks that are sitting on liquid government bonds they don't have to realize the losses because they're going to hold them to maturity. But were they to run into problems, they would need to run into to realize these losses. And that's exactly what sank Silicon Valley Bank and the other uh, American banks earlier this year. And guess what? We've got the same sort of problem beginning to develop in the UK, where one of the small challenger banks, Metro, is currently desperately trying to sell itself because they face exactly that kind of problem. So you've got a whole series of different problems beginning to escalate across the financial system. And that's about my rant for just now. And uh, Bill, last but not least, uh, but you know, given what you've just talked about, given the geopolitical concerns, uh, given the fact that you know, property markets are looking quite shaky as well, are there safer safe havens out there? Should investors be picky? Um, well, the first thing to say is banks face a number of problems with their bond portfolios, their corporate bond portfolios. You're quite right to add in property, which is a massive underperformer everywhere. And then, of course, you've got consumers because we're seeing tensions in auto loans and credit card debt, especially everyone's broke. So, yeah, that is a problem for banks. But where should people be investing? Well, funnily enough, I would say go for the safe havens. And I would say that treasuries and UK government bonds and Japanese government bonds are actually still safe havens. You know why? Because they aren't going to default. Even though they continue to ramp up the quantum of debt, they still control the printing presses. Yes, that would create other issues like inflation and currency pressures if they simply print money. What really worries me most, though, is Europe, because about 14 years ago, was it that long ago? Yeah, we had this crisis going on with European sovereign debt because European countries like Italy do not control their own currency. They are part of a currency by committee called the European Central Bank and the Euro. As a result, they are unable to print their way out of crisis. And that's why I fear we could be seeing a repeat of the European Central Bank crisis, uh, the European sovereign debt crisis, and it will probably start off with Italy later this year. So if you're looking for safe currencies, well, gold is always a safe haven. Um, I would think about treasury bonds, but at the moment, everything else makes me a little bit nervous. 
Thank you very much, uh, Shard Capital's Bill Blaine there. As always, a real pleasure catching up with you, talking about safe havens and also uh, to look why we should look out for Saudi Arabia when we are talking about Israel and Hamas and also uh, the US big banks and what they tell us about uh, liquidity and, of course, the bond markets ahead. Uh, this is IGTV. Thank you.